Thank you very much for that. Appreciate that. Reminder to set our affections on things, the things above. Seek first the kingdom of God. Thank you for that reminder. Appreciate their ministry to us. Thank you, AJ and Sherry, and for uh, all the kids. I don't know if a non-family member could list all the children's names in order from oldest to youngest. If you do, you get the prize. I don't know what the prize would be, but (laughs) anyway, we're thankful for the Herald family and their ministry to us today. Philippians chapter number four, Philippians chapter number four, God kept bringing my mind back to this topic of discipleship, the need for discipleship. It is a lifelong calling in the sense that we all are disciples of Christ. If we know Christ as our Savior, if we've been born again, we are a disciple of Jesus Christ. We are in the Lord's army. We are a soldier for the Lord. We are a follower of Jesus Christ upon our salvation, placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, repenting of our sins, and trusting Him as our personal Savior. We become a disciple, a follower of Christ. And this has been heavy on my heart for uh, probably the last couple of months, and it just seemed like messages and passages just kept, kept coming back uh, to my mind, or I'd be reading, or I'd be listening to a, a sermon, or uh, whatever the case may be. It just seemed like the Lord kept impressing this upon my heart, and I thought, well, uh, it seems the Lord would have us focus on this for the year 2024, and I want to begin in this series by looking at Philippians 4 in verses 8 and 9. Maybe not a traditional passage that refers to discipleship, but, or that we think of that refers to discipleship, but really, it does. And so I want to begin, first of all, tonight, to consider, first of all, the integrity of discipleship. The integrity of discipleship. Look at verse number 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. What really struck home with me as I was reminded of this passage recently, those things, that phrase in verse 9, what, what is he referring to? Well, in the context, it seems like he is referring to verse number 8. Those things. What things? Well, in these verses, we see Paul making a very bold and courageous statement by the very inspiration of God. He quotes, he writes these words through the direct revelation of God, preserved for us today, and they were true of Paul's life. Think about what he just penned by the inspiration of God. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtue, praise. And he says those things. And he goes on in that verse, verse number nine, to say, which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. That's integrity. Those things. This is what our character should reflect. I know we 
use this verse, and we should apply it to what we watch, what we hear, the things that we think about, what comes into our, our minds. We often consider this verse in the context of our mind and the defenses of our mind, casting down imaginations in every high thing, and certainly that is a proper application. But verse 9 really struck me when I was uh, coming, reading through this, and someone uh, drew my attention to this, and I, I think it was in a devotional uh, by the Institute for Creation Research. I get their weekly, or their, their daily, I should say, uh, devotional, and I, I believe it was in their devotional that I, I read through this passage, and it really hit me that Paul, not with pride, not bragging, not with any kind of, um, again, conceits, he's saying, my life, my life that you have seen, that you have learned from, that you have heard from, I am asking you to follow my life and to do these things. I have, by the grace of God, tried to live these very qualities that I'm asking you to think about. I have lived them out in my life. He's, again, not patting himself on the back and tooting his own horn. He is, by the revelation of God and the truth of the character of Paul's life, was that his life, pointed people to these character traits. His life, his teaching, his way of life, his lifestyle, caused people to think about the things of the Lord. To think about those things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. That is rebuking. Philippians 3 and verse 17, just a chapter back, he says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example or an example. In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, he wrote, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse number 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am. Of Christ. Paul lived an exemplary life, not perfect, but godly, and a good example of these character traits. What would be said about our life? We influence others, don't we? As we consider discipleship this year, as we begin with this message tonight in thinking about the demands of discipleship, the first demand of discipleship is the integrity of our own life. As we trust Christ as our personal Savior and enter into a life of discipleship, a life of following Jesus Christ, there is a demand of integrity because we are influencing others, whether we realize it or not. Isn't it kind of scary sometimes when our kids say or do certain things and they are reflecting something that we have said or done and we didn't even realize that they were watching or they were listening? Sometimes that's an uh-oh moment. Sometimes it's a thank you, Lord moment, right? There is an integrity of our lives that is 
a demand of discipleship. Is our life a life of truth? Is it a life that is truly reflecting who God is, who is truth? We know from John 1 and verse number 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. We know that the Word of God, the living Word of God, is Jesus Christ, the written Word of God, is truth. Thy Word is truth. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. God is true. Jesus Christ is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. Three persons, one essence, one God. Does our life live, is our life reflecting the truth, the realities of who God is? Do we live a life of truth? That we are who we really are, both at home and at work and at church? Or are we hypocrites? Does our life reflect honesty, noble, worthy of respect or reverence? Again, pointing to the Lord. But do we, I, I know that there's sometimes this argument that Respect has to be earned and, and not just uh, part of an office or a title. I, I, under, I understand that. There is a level of respect that we still have to have for an office, even though we may struggle with respect for that person and their lack of character. But I'm saying from this standpoint, in this verse, does our life bring respect and reverence for God? that there is a difference about our life, an integrity, a character about our life, that it draws people to a reverence, to a respect for the Lord, that their opinion of us is that this person fears God and walks with God and honors God and loves the Lord. We have had several in our church family pass away recently, and honestly, it has caused me to have a lot of reflection as I'm even preparing for a funeral on Wednesday, as I sat there today with Joyce and with Kelly and was sitting there at the Montgomery home and we were reflecting upon the life of Brother Bob, it just hit me again. Our lives affect so many people. I'm not here to make a commercial break for It's a Wonderful Life, but again, it's one of my favorite Christmas movies and we watched it Christmas Eve and we enjoyed Again, it's not a movie I'm saying that we're to go out and gather a bunch of people together and use it as an evangelistic tool. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. But it's an interesting movie. It has a, a nice storyline, and it speaks to the fact that our lives influence others. Fathers, mothers, whether we're at work or at play, we're influencing others. Sometimes we don't think of it as teenagers, as young people. But you know what? You're affecting others at your school, the sports that you play, the place where you work, on and on it goes. Are we living according to what is right, according to God's righteous standards? Are we living a morally clean, pure, undefiled life? Does our life show forth kindness and graciousness? Is our life lovely? Is there an admirable character to our life that brings high regard for God and for God's righteousness and morality and purity? Is there a moral excellence to our life and is our life praiseworthy, bringing glory to the Lord? This is the integrity of discipleship. But then we also see the initiation. 
the initiation of discipleship. Discipleship begins with salvation. I mentioned this a little bit already. Once we get saved, at the time, the moment we get saved, we enter into a life of discipleship. We are a follower of Christ. We have now entered into a lifelong, as we have trusted Christ as our Savior, repented of our sins, we have now entered into a lifelong journey, a pilgrim's progress, so to speak, of discipleship, of following the Lord. And we know what it's like as believers. It's not always perfect, and it's not always easy. And there's ups and downs, and there's mountaintops, and there's valleys. And there are shadows of death, and there's distractions and vanities and temptations all around as we are in this journey of discipleship as a believer. But it begins at salvation. A basic definition of disciple just simply means a learner or a follower. Matthew 28 and verse 19 in the Great Commission, we are commanded to go forth and to teach all nations. That word teach means to make disciples. So upon receiving Christ as our Savior, we are made a disciple by the grace of God. We are now a follower of Jesus Christ. We're to learn from him. Where once we learned from the world, we learned from our flesh. We learned from our own desires and trying to earn our own way and trying to get through life by somehow maintaining our own good works or trying to do it our own way. Now we are as a disciple, we're to be learning from the master, Jesus Christ. From his word, the inspired, inerrant, authoritative word of God. We're to be a follower of Christ. Disciple, pupil, student, learner. Life touching life. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and what? Follow me. That really is a call to salvation. And what does it clearly state? That upon receiving Christ, we follow him. This is really a call to salvation that immediately attaches itself to a following. An attachment to Christ. To be his follower. To learn from him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly of heart, we read. So the initiation of discipleship, it begins at salvation. We become a follower of Christ at the moment that we get saved. We don't become a Christian and then decide to follow him later. We may not know our specific call the moment we get saved, we may not know exactly where we're going to serve the Lord immediately upon receiving Christ as our Savior. But we don't have the option of not following the Lord once we get saved. And there is now the Holy Spirit who's doing what? Who's guiding us into all truth. Who has implanted within us now a desire to follow the Lord. That's part of the Holy Spirit's ministry. So... We can follow him with the blessing and peace of obedience and a life of integrity, or we will follow him haltingly and half-heartedly 
and experience consequences, chastening, and a lack of peace. Our salt will be tainted, will have lost its savor, and the light of our life that should be reflecting the light of the world, Jesus Christ, will become foggy and misty, and will not be the kind of light and testimony that we should be when we are not living a life of obedience. Notice what Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 9. These, those things, excuse me, which, we have, which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. A disciple who obediently follows the Lord, lives a life of integrity and service for the Lord, living for his master, who has bought us with a price as we return in the will of God doing our reasonable expected service as a living sacrifice, what does Paul say God brings? He will be the God of peace. Peace will follow after our life. The world doesn't know this peace, does it? We've been talking in James about conflict and wars, and we see the conflict all around. Probably tonight, going home, we will experience some measure of a lack of peace in somebody's life because you just have to get to a stoplight or a stop sign or change lanes. Driving itself, you can see how people are not living in peace. Honk the horn at you if you don't accelerate right away, cut you off, don't use their turn signals. Sometimes the lack of peace is on my part when I'm behind somebody driving 25 in a 40-mile-an-hour zone. And I have to bite my tongue because I'm like, why are they going so slow? They're 15 miles below the speed limit. Downhill, anyway. That came up recently. (laughs) But we're tested in regards to our integrity. But a life of peace is a life of integrity. A life of dedication and commitment. Single-heartedly, full devotion and commitment as a disciple following the Lord. In obedience. The initiation of discipleship. The integrity of discipleship. And I already put the third point on the screen. The instruction of discipleship. Let's look at a quick example tonight of Jesus. And how he led the disciples. How he discipled. How he mentored. How he trained the twelve. We know that Judas was a hypocrite, would be a traitor, and eventually, of course, Paul. You can talk about Acts 1, Matthias. But notice that in the instruction of discipleship, that there were really, we could kind of summarize it into three stages. First of all, as simple believers, were they Christ followers? Yes. Had they trusted him as their savior? Sure. They trusted him as the Messiah. They believed in him. They had begun to follow him, but they were probably still going about their normal vocations. I can only imagine what Matthew was experiencing as a tax collector and having to clean up his extortioner type of ways. But they began to accompany Jesus. We were talking about the miracles today in the Sunday school lesson as AJ walked us through and we were giving examples of miracles. Many of the time, the disciples were with Jesus. He was already beginning his training in those early days as the disciples began to join him and 
having trusted him as the Messiah, and they accompanied him at the wedding in Cana, at the Passover in Jerusalem, a Passover in the early days of Jesus' public ministry there in Jerusalem in John 2. They accompanied him to a scene of John the Baptist's ministry in John 3 and on a return journey through Samaria back to Galilee in John 4 where he met the woman at the well and witnessed to her and she came to Christ along with many from her village. They were really just simple believers. We've been there, haven't we? Got saved. Maybe you had an enthusiastic zeal right after we got saved and then it be, became just that everyday, day-to-day walk of faith. Get married, have a honeymoon, and then you get into the day-to-day of marriage where the real test of love, it's no longer chocolates and roses. It's now the real deal, right? Not that chocolates and roses are fake. Not that you shouldn't have romance in your relationship. Of course, we should. Continue to date our spouse, right? But there's the everyday grind, so to speak. There's the day-to-day, the commitments and getting and all the adjustments and then the different trials of life come and love is tested, the choice, the commitment. We grow in our love for one another. We love our spouse now more after many years of marriage than we did even, we didn't know we could love to that capacity. We thought love was the I do and the honeymoon and all of the, I don't know, what did they throw at your wedding? Rice? Blow bubbles? Um, what are they? I forget what all they, they do nowadays. Um, what is it? Oh, sparklers. Okay, all right. Um, you know, it, all that and wonderful wedding day, great memories. Uh, a friend of Emily's just got, got married over Christmas break, and Emily was part of the, the wedding and uh, looking forward to officiating a wedding. Uh, this year, and uh, uh, looking forward to, to that very much in, in August. But uh, anyway, all of that is, is wonderful, but it doesn't stop there, does it? Well, I told my spouse I do on the wedding day. I have to keep reminding them that I love them. Yes, all right. <laughs> Say it, live it, all of the aspects of love, and it grows. Their discipleship began very simply, they're accompanying Jesus, they're wowed by his miracles, they're seeing him evangelized, and God's calling them, Jesus is calling them to a greater depth of their love and their commitment and their discipleship. Then there's a close fellowship. They begin to leave full-time vocations. There's a step out now in faith, not that we all are called to vocational ministry, but every vocation should be seen as a ministry for the Lord. Now it matters as a believer how we live. When we were unsaved, we just kind of went with the flow. Maybe we had certain things that kind of kept us in check. But as a believer, the Holy Spirit committed to Christ as a disciple, we have to continue to Increase that love, that commitment, and that knowledge of God, and that following. And think of the example of the apostles, these 12. Now they were leaving vocations to walk with Christ full time, every day. The commitment of their life. This is where it really starts to, to, 
to get down to the the heart of our life, to the nitty gritty. Because what do we want to do? We want to separate. We want to say there's the secular and there's the sacred. And I'm real good with the sacred on Sundays at church and in my devotions. But the secular, that that's not God. God doesn't have that. That's that, that's not where where God's involved. Wait, wait a minute here. I understand we have secular and sacred as terms to help us distinguish certain types of activities in church versus maybe um, a job or something else. I understand that. But really, for a Christian, everything is sacred. But we as believers, we want to exempt our workplace, our recreation. We want to exempt our entertainment. We want to exempt all kinds of different things, don't we? We're so guilty of this. Oh, I, my, my discipleship is great as long as it's on the simple level. Watching Jesus do miracles, watching him witness. Oh, that, those people who have served the Lord 40, 50 years. Yeah, they're, they're the real disciples. I'm not called to that. Wait a second here. If we're a follower of Christ, we've all been commanded to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and to follow him. We're to go wherever he leads us, to do whatever he calls us to do. I never thought, I never thought when I went into that little room in the basement of Eagledale Baptist Church, and I, after Eric Miller gave a lesson in junior church, I never thought when I walked into that room after junior church and I said, to the teacher, the counselor, that I wanted to serve the Lord with my life and I wanted to do whatever he wanted me to do. And I prayed that day. I never knew all the things that God would lead me to do. But I tell you what, God kept bringing me back to that moment. I'm saved. I submitted my life to the Lord. I surrendered in my call. And there have never been, there has never been a bad day in the ministry. There have been some hard days. There's been times that it's been a little discouraging. It's been a little difficult. But there's never been a bad day in the ministry. And for all of us as believers, there really isn't ever a bad day. Because even on our worst days, it's still better than what we deserve. But our discipleship is not to just be left at the simple level. It's to go on to the next level. We're to take our faith and we're to go out into the deep waters and cast our nets. I know that's an illustration that Jesus performed as a miracle, but they had to go out in faith and cast their nets, what, on the other side or out into the deep water and cast their nets because God had more. And I think sometimes we're very convenient, casual, and complacent and comfortable in our discipleship. And no wonder we're not affecting the next generation for Christ or we're not affecting our workplace or wherever God has called us. And then there was another level. I love how A.B. Bruce in his book, The Training of the Twelve, talks about this level. I realize not all of us are called. We're little A apostles. We're not big A apostles. We're little A apostles. We're sent out ones. All of us as Christians, as disciples, are sent out, at least as little A apostles. We're not capital A apostles. Those were for the foundation of the church. There's no apostles, that gift to the church is not functioning today, but we are sent ones. And I love what A.B. Bruce says. He says the 12 were to be Christ's witnesses in the world after he himself had left it. It was to be their peculiar duty to give to the world a faithful account of their master's words and deeds. Even if they weren't the one who has the title, the book of the Bible named after them, we know that 
Mark was probably writing from Peter's eyewitness account. Luke was uh, obviously very close to the apostles, particularly with Paul and his journeys, and was writing, of course, often recording, obviously by the revelation of God, but through the witness and the testimony of Paul, if not other apostles. But they were to give a faithful account of their master's words and deeds and a just image of his character. They were to be a just image of his character and true reflection of his spirits. Is that not to some degree true of all of us as little A apostles? That we are to be his witnesses? That we are to be faithful in the duty that he has called us to? And that we are to be a just image of his character and a true reflection of his spirit. That's right there in Philippians 4 and verse 8. Those things. Paul says there's the characteristics of integrity that we're to be living. A.B. Bruce goes on to say they were, they were to proclaim the cross as the hope of the world's redemption and the symbol of all that is noble and heroic in conduct. He says, as proclaimers of this message, they must be superior to all conventional notions of human and divine dignity, capable of glorying in the cross of Christ and willing to bear a cross themselves. Uh, Jesus at the church of Laodicea, he does what? He pukes, he vomits. Why? Because the church was lukewarm. They were not committed really one way or the other. Casual, complacent, comfortable. And they weren't contrite. And they were not, were not committed faithfully in their service for the Lord. Pressing on to higher ground that we sang this morning. No, they were lukewarm. And Jesus said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Do we want to be vomit as disciples? That's gross. And then I was going over to Franciscan Hospital. Sorry for a little TMI here. I was going over to Franciscan Hospital to see Bob the other day. And some guy was at the entrance and he was losing his lunch. It was quite gross. We're all trying to go around him and the staff is out there in the lobby watching and it's disgusting. We are repulsed by that. I cleaned up way too much puke in my lifetime. Custodial and also with little kids at home <laughs> through the years. It's repulsive. Is that what we want to be? Is our life and our lack of discipleship causing a repulsiveness to our Lord because we're so lukewarm? God has called each of us as believers to a life of discipleship. Every believer, I've heard this said, maybe you've heard it said, every believer should have a Paul to look up to. Maybe we can be a Paul in someone's life, somewhere here at church. Isn't it nice to have a Barnabas, a friend, to encourage us? Isn't it wonderful to have those friends? But then there's also a Timothy that we can be mentoring, someone that we can reach out to. We're thankful for the Pauls. I'm thankful for many Pauls in my life. Thankful for good friends, Barnabases. And then constantly, regularly looking for a Timothy or Timothys to, to try to mentor, to influence for the Lord. 
But discipleship demands what? A close walk with the Lord, a life of integrity, sacrifice, and service. It demands that we keep learning, growing, and maturing. I like what someone said, I am not what I ought to be, not what I want to be, not what I am going to be, but I am thankful that I am better than I used to be. Constantly striving to be better for the Lord, Christ-like, and obviously in a way that would be glorifying to Christ and growing in our knowledge and our personal relationship with Christ and our maturity. But isn't it, doesn't it seem today that excellence gets turned so quickly to just acceptable? That acceptable just, well, well it's adequate. I, to this day, it, it frustrates me when students are happy with less than their best. Have you ever heard that saying? Never, it's a sin to do less than your best. And teachers would sometimes, and I know I've, I've expressed it as well. But what, what happens when we no longer strive for excellency? We reduce to acceptability, to adequacy, to mediocrity. And mediocrity very often does what? It leads to sin. There's no longer a striving for excellence for the Lord. Be holy for I am holy. No, it's, well, be okay. Because not everyone is okay. But it's okay to be okay. So I can just be okay. I know there's a, a, an aspect to that, a, a context to that, that might be appropriate. And I'm not trying to, to cast negative, too much negative light on those who are really struggling with some sort of uh, mental health issue. But we've gotten to this point that it's just complacency. We'll, we'll go all out for the, for, for the sports, for the, the, the things that we love, our habits, our, our hobbies. We'll go all out for all of those different things. We'll give 100% on the floor, on the field, on the court, in every, all these other areas, and we can barely show up for God, barely give him time, barely sacrifice, barely serve. Mediocrity turns into sin. What does Paul say? In Philippians 3 and verse 8, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That word press is straining like an athlete running a marathon, like a sprinter running, straining for the finish line. Every ounce of energy, exertion. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Romans 12, verse 11, not slothful in business. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And whatsoever you do, Colossians 3 and verse 23, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as unto the Lord and not unto men. This article was recently brought to my attention. It comes from February 28, 2023. Dr. Tracy F. Munsell in a Barna research group using his research, Barna, the expert research, often using, often researching, doing surveys for uh, religious or evangelical types of uh, surveys. This particular article came out in February of 2023, so we're almost a year removed from this. 
won't have time to read the whole article, but I, I thought of this as it was brought to my attention this week, and I got to thinking, you know, discipleship re- requires integrity, requires uh, a life of character, of service for the Lord, of impacting others for the Lord, which, again, we've just spent a lot of time talking about that, but li- listen to the research from the, the Barna Research Group. The bulk of the American adult population, 82%, falls into the world citizen category, described as people who may embrace a few biblical principles, but generally believe and behave in ways that are distinct from biblical teaching. 82% of the American adult population, February 28th, 2023. Embrace a few biblical principles. Generally believe and behave, though, in ways that are distinct from biblical teaching. The article goes on to say, when you put the data in perspective, the biblical worldview is shuffling toward the edge of the cliff, Barna commented. As things stand today, biblical theism is much closer to extinction in America than it is to influencing the soul of the nation. The current incidence of adults with the biblical worldview is the lowest since I began measuring it in the early 1990s. No wonder we're not making an impact for others. The salt has lost its savor. The salt doesn't even know what salt is. The veteran researcher noted that young people in particular are largely isolated from biblical thought in our society and are the most aggressive in rejecting biblical principles in our culture. Scary. Facilitating a return to biblical thinking and living in America will take an intentional, strategic, and consistent effort by the remaining population that represents a biblical approach to life, Barna said. I don't know about you, but I want there to be a biblical approach to life from the pews of this church, from the pulpit of this church. I'm driven to see a difference in this, for us to make a difference as the salt and light that God has called us to be in this area of discipleship. One more, and then we'll bring this to a close. Most Americans, this is from some of the key findings in this report, most Americans, 68%, still consider themselves to be Christians. Among these self-identified Christians, though, only 6% have a biblical worldview. Less than half of the self-identified Christians can be classified as born again, defined as believing that they will go to heaven after they die, but only because they have confessed their sins and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Wait a second here. Think about, digest that for a minute. Less than 50% of those who identify themselves as Christians even believe the gospel. That is scary. How can we disciple others if we're not even a born-again believer? But we think we are. Sad. Within the born-again population, within the born-again population, which is, again, just 33%, You have 68% who consider themselves Christians, but only 33% who would be in the category of born again. So within the born again population, a shockingly small proportion, 13%, hold a biblical worldview. 
68% call themselves Christians, but less than half even believe the gospel. Take the 33%, and only 13 of that 33% hold a biblical worldview. That is scary. What is going wrong? How can we impact a world for Jesus Christ when the people who claim to be disciples of Christ don't even know the gospel? Don't even have a biblical worldview? We have been initiated into discipleship when we trusted Christ as our Savior. We became a follower of Christ, a disciple. We have a discipleship role as a father, as a mother, grandfather, grandmother, all kinds of different areas in which God has called us and roles that we play in our workplace and wherever that God has us, that we are to be an influence for Christ, that we have discipleship, making disciples, evangelism, and then helping others in their walk with the Lord and helping them in their knowledge of God and in their biblical worldview, in our life touching life with a life of integrity, having been initiated into discipleship, living a life of integrity, and now sharing and living out and living under and living that out and sharing it with others, the instruction of discipleship, that we have the character and we have the biblical worldview in that we then impact others and influence others for Jesus Christ with that life of integrity, with that biblical worldview for God's honor and for God's glory. We'll continue in this theme and expand on this some more as we go throughout the year, but I hope that this has been a help and encouragement to us tonight. And I hope that it's been a challenge for us as it has been to me already and how we can grow in our discipleship personally and also in that influence of discipleship for others in the year 2024. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together tonight. Thank you for the faithfulness of your people. Thank you for the Herald family and their ministry. Pray watch over them, protect them. Can you bless their ministry there in Southern California and pray watch over them as they travel. Help us, Lord, to be committed as disciples, to be living sacrifices, to give of ourselves in the service of the Lord and to impact others for Jesus Christ with a life of integrity, with the instruction of the Holy Word of God. Lord, help us to be making disciples of all nations as we share the gospel with others. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to make an impact in this community and around the world for Jesus Christ, by your grace and for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Derek's going to come, and he will lead us in our closing hymn, 452.